Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome back, everybody, and I'm delighted to bring this new guest to Natural MD Radio to you today. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. She also teaches the public and medical community about the healing power of the paleo diet and therapeutic lifestyle changes that restore health and vitality to our citizens. But to me, most importantly, Terry is also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. She restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her own brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. This is a story that if you watch Terry's videos, you will just be, your, your, your jaw will drop. So I highly encourage you to do that. And we're going to have some jaw dropping conversation today too. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you. I'm very, very glad to be here. So your book, The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles in Functional Medicine, and your book, The Walls Protocol, A Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic Inflammatory Autoimmune Conditions Using Paleo Principles, have really revolutionized how so many of us think of MS. I mean, even for myself as a functional medicine doctor and treating MS patients, I felt that you actually added a new level of confidence to me and my approach. So I really appreciate that. And anytime we see somebody go through a massive personal transformation, I mean, your, your story and your video is almost like one of those old timey, you know, someone walks into church and can't walk and then they're off their crutches. It's, it's quite amazing. So that's a, it's a very impressive story. It is. And so here's the thing you like, I am are a physician, but I know neither of us learned really a lick about nutrition in medical training. So what was it that first opened your eyes to saying, one, I've got to do something about this. Two, I can do something about this. And three, maybe food is the answer. Well, you know, I I was diagnosed with MS in 2000. And at that point, um, I, I took the approach of aggressive treatment using drugs, because that's what I believed in. Uh, and I was going downhill. Uh, two years later, my Cleveland Clinic uh, physician uh, suggested I check out the work of Lauren Cordain. Uh, and so I did that and read his book, uh, went to his website, read the scientific papers. And so I decided that there was a scientific rationale for adopting the paleo diet. This was a big deal because I'd been a vegetarian for 20 years. Uh, and so I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy. I went back to eating meat. But I continued to decline. The next year, I needed the wheelchair and was taking uh, chemotherapy and then uh, Tizabri. But still, because I read his papers, saw the scientific rationale, I decided to stay with the paleo diet because at least I was doing something. Uh, and then as I took the uh, mitoxantrone and continued to decline, it looked like I was headed towards being bedridden or demented or both. And then I started looking for the latest science, again, still looking for drug studies. I did that for a year. And then my aha moment was, you know, I should be looking for things I could access. So now I started looking for uh, vitamins and supplements. And at first, the papers that I found were uh, papers 
talking about Parkinson's, Huntington's, and Alzheimer's, and, and mitochondria in mouse models. And so I started experimenting with some vitamins and supplements, and after six months, I, I was sort of disgusted that I was wasting my money, and uh, so I quit everything. And I, I just couldn't really get up out of bed to go to work for the next three days. And then on the third day, my spouse came in and said, you know, honey, I think you ought to, ought to take your vitamins again. And I took them, and the next day I could get up and go back to work. And so that was incredibly exciting because like, now, like, well, they may not be, you know, restoring me, but they're clearly doing something. And so two weeks later, I, I did the same experiment. I stopped everything. I was completely exhausted, couldn't function. And then uh, three days later, I went back on my vitamins and supplements and could, again, get up uh, and go to work. So now I'm, I'm very excited, and I've spent more time reading uh, and searching. And I'm also acquiring confidence because these were things that neither my neurologist nor my primary care physician had talked to me about. So uh, and now it, I was getting more comfortable reading the literature and more comfortable that, yes, diet. Well, at, at that point, you know, that my vitamins and supplements were doing something and that I could figure stuff out based on scientific reading. So when you initially, because you're still a strong proponent of the paleo diet, as am I, yes. for depending on my patient's individual patient's needs, what do you think was the shift that, because you said you did the paleo for a year, but you were still declining you added in the vitamins and supplements. Do you think that there was something missing in your paleo diet that listeners who are struggling to regain their health, whether it's immune or not, was missing at that point? Sure. Lauren Cordain put a whole lot of emphasis on what to remove. And he was pretty vague on what to add. And what I, what I did uh, was that I used my review of science uh, in functional medicine to identify the nutrients that were really important to the brain. And then I said, where are they in the food supply? And I figured if I got them from the food supply, uh, that would be much better. They'd be in the right ratios. And you know, now, as I have learned further and science has gone further, I'm realizing that we're probably changing the microbiome because I have this huge emphasis on vegetables with sufficient meat, but not lots of meat, just sufficient meat. Uh, we're shifting the microbiome, we're shifting gene expression, uh, and I think, uh, and we're dealing with nutrient insufficiencies. So those three things were probably all together what was the big shift for me. I love hearing that. And one of the things I see in my practice, and I work with many women with autoimmune conditions as well, is that many do go on the paleo diet and get some benefit. I mean, I think any time you take all the white flour and the sugar and all that out of your diet, you're going to get some benefit right there. And I, I think a lot of women are subpar on their fat and protein intake in general and are just going around much more tired and living on a lot more carbs than they realize. But I do see a lot of my patients who have gone on a paleo diet eating very limited variety of foods. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I feel is so important is that variety of not just nutrients, but phytochemicals that we get from plants. I mean, Michael Pollan, I think, was on to something when he said, eat mostly plants. Tell me about how many servings of vegetables you recommend a day, where you are with fruit, because fruit can sure. also be high in sugar. And how do you recommend folks adding those in? So I want to remind everyone that I'm a tall lady, about six foot tall. 
Uh, my clinical practice for years was the VA. Uh, and so I slanted my recommendations based on what I was used in my recovery and towards men. So that's nine cups of vegetables. Uh, yeah, it's three cups of leafy greens. If you're doing it as salads, then it'd be six cups. Uh, then three cups of cabbage family, cabbage, onion, mushroom family vegetables. And three cups of things that are deeply pigmented, like carrots, beets, berries. And that, that, and I was very intentional with the nine cups in that I'm filling people up. I'm filling them up with specific food groups that will provide some uh, key nutrients. Uh, it encourages more variety. Uh, if they're going to have fruit, uh, this will depend on their underlying goals. If weight loss is an issue, or if they have fatty liver disease or diabetes, then I have them limit their fruit uh, either to no fruit or um, like a half cup or a cup of berries. If they want to be ketogenic, again, limited uh, for the same things, half cup or a cup of berries. I'm exactly the same. As I love when we have these sort of different people coming from different backgrounds and then we come to some of the same conclusions. With the, yeah. bra- with the Brassicaceae family, and you mentioned also the mushrooms and the onions. onions, are you going for a higher sulfur? So that's from what I call the sulfur group. Um, but I'm, I'm particular from those three family groups, the brassica or the cruciferous vegetables and the onions. Uh, really ramp up the enzymes involved in detox. They increase your intracellular glutathione. They'll increase your production of gamma aminobutyric acid. Great stuff. Love it. And you mentioned when you were doing your initial research, mitochondrial dysfunction. And this is something I see quite a lot in my practice, fatigue, muscle fatigue, chronic fatigue, et cetera. How much of a role did, do you feel like that played in, in your healing, attending to your mitochondria? And how did you do that? Well, you know, as I was going downhill and I started adding vitamins and supplements, uh, all my research at that time was focused on restoring my mitochondria because it was my conclusion that mitochondria, because they signal cell death, lead to early uh, death of brain cells uh, and atrophy, shrinkage of the brain. So the vitamin and supplement regimen that I was building over time was all targeting mitochondria uh, restoration. Uh, and then you know, I took my functional medicine course on neuroprotection. I had a longer list of vitamins uh, targeting um, the mitochondria. And then, you know, in the fall of 2007, I said, okay, where are they in the food supply? So the food is designed to really nourish those mitochondria because uh, that has such a powerful impact at restoring brain cells. By the way, also heart cells uh, and the retina as well. Absolutely. And energy metabolism, energy use, so powerful. One of the areas that um, I know you talk about, and to me, it's sort of this never ending area of fascination. I could probably do every podcast just about this is the microbiome. And it just seems yes. like every day, I mean, I just get geeked out on the stuff every day. There's some new cool thing about the microbiome. How did you work with your healing, your recovery, and, and in your life now, in addition to the vegetables to support your mitochondria? Well, or what is the role you see of the, the mi- microbiome in brain neurotransmitters and healing with autoimmune disease? Well, um, you know, every year, yeah, well, continually, we're seeing more papers coming out that really deepen understanding of the gut-brain connection and how the microbiome uh, influences the vagus nerve, uh, the parasympathetic nerves, uh, uh, our autonomic nervous tone 
and our neurotransmitters, uh, how the microbiome influences behavior, cognition. And uh, the other thing that we, we often forget is that, you know, plants like uh, corn and wheat, they have about 100,000 genes. Uh, people have 23,000 genes. And our, if you looked at the prediction of how many genes we would have had based on the number of proteins we make, uh, the prediction was 100,000 genes. So we lost 75,000 genes. And where those probably went, uh, and I, I explained this uh, to our patients, is that when our ancestors had a genetic mutation that a gene didn't work very well, if the, the bacteria and yeast living in your bowels made that protein, that product, we survived and we had reproductive success. And at that moment, that particular gene got exported from my DNA into my microbiome's DNA. And that's where those 75,000 genes that went missing went into our microbiome. So now when we changed our food supply and we're starving out these uh, bacteria and yeast that we had evolved with over uh, millions of years, the chem our chemistry of life doesn't work as well. And we're more likely to develop health challenges. And I think that contributes to the um, early onset autoimmunity. Uh, diabetes or metabolic uh, problems or mental health problems. I couldn't agree with you more. In, in, increasingly in my practice, the first thing I do is really just work on gut, gut, and gut, gut and diet. And, you know, those two are sort of inseparable, getting enough variety in our diet, getting the foods that, and, and you really hit on this so beautifully when you said Lauren Cordain really focused more on what to take out than what to add in. And I think the power of of the add-ins that support and nourish the microbiome are, are incredibly powerful. What are some of the big add-ins that you think, in addition to a probiotic, that folks can do to really nourish and restore their microbiome? Well, um, eat vegetables, lots mm -hmm. and lots of vegetables. Uh, and if you're going to have root vegetables, in general, I'd rather you have them raw, grate them, and have them as uh, salads, uh, or ferment them and have them as uh, a ferment. So most of the probiotics that we take commercially are derived from strains that are in our fermented foods. So you could, you, could, you could take the probiotic capsule, and that can be handy to have on hand, but my preference is that people eat more probiotic foods that are not dairy or grain-based, but are vegetable-based, um, so that they have uh, a higher cell count in a, more, uh, a larger number of species in the fermented foods than you'll get in a probiotic capsule. It's also the way that we were sort of evolutionarily designed to get these things. I think it, the, more we yes. can, the more we can get from food, the more our body can actually use it. What are your thoughts on resistant starches? So I know you're taking legumes out of the diet, but wh what are your thoughts? So these will um, exist in fruits and vegetables. And if you cook the vegetables and then have them cold, so if you have a starchy vegetable and then you have it cold, you'll get a little bit more resistant starch. If you take that root vegetable and you grate it, like, uh, or you have raw uh, turnip slices or grated uh, turnips, uh, lots of resistant starch there. Uh, you can have, uh, I'm also fond of chia pudding, flaxseed puddings, and uh, they can be uh, a, a nice source as well. Uh, many folks in the paleo world really like potato starch, 
And potato starch is a nightshade, so that could be a problem for many folks. Potatoes are uh, often uh, harvested with uh, being uh, covered with glyphosate. That'll increase uh, production by about 10%. So farmers have a big incentive to do that. Yeah. Uh, they're prone to mold. And so those that potato starch is more likely to be contaminated by mold, more likely to be contaminated by Roundup or glyphosate. And uh, there are there's evidence that if you use potato starch, you have a higher rate of C. diff colitis, uh, probably from the uh, Roundup in that potatoes. Yeah. So my advice is avoid uh, potatoes and particularly avoid potato starch. And what are your thoughts for folks who are wanting to stay healthy but aren't necessarily struggling with an autoimmune condition on legumes? Because they've, you know, all studies have pointed to them being an overall heart healthy, weight healthy, Mm -hmm, microbiome mm -hmm. supportive food. But obviously, many people with autoimmune conditions are sensitive to them. So if you have an autoimmune problem, um, and even in my clinic and my trials, we let people have legumes two servings a week. Uh, half cup a day, unless they have rheumatoid arthritis. That's if when I rheumat- take them out too. I agree. If they, have, if they have an autoimmune condition and that will involve the joints, so it could be uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, sacroiliitis, psoriatic arthritis. Yeah, ankylosing spondylitis, I take it out too. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. So if there's ever an autoimmune condition where the joints have taken a hit, then I take out nuts, seeds, nightshades, um, so, and, and I let them know, this is going to be really tough. I want them to do that for 100 days, and then they could bring one ingredient back per week. And if they tolerate that ingredient, that means you can have it once per week. Love it. I'm exactly the same. It's interesting with the autoimmune conditions. I find that the joint-related ones really are where the legumes and beans take a hit. To, uh, for mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you found hardest to change when you were making these changes? Or was it just like, I'm so, I so need to save my life here that this is easy? You know, uh, probably what was helpful was that, uh, you know, the first big decision was to let go of being a vegetarian. That was tough. Uh, so it was a lot of meditation and prayer uh, and introspection about that. Um, then once I did that, this, this was a long, slow process of uh, discovery through my own research in functional medicine. Uh, so people sometimes think that I, I did all this in just 12 months, but there were uh, several years of uh, evolution from adapting the paleo diet, adding the vitamins and supplements. Uh, and then when I redesigned my diet using those principles, you know, that's when there was a dramatic uh, improvement. And, you know, like many folks, I had wondered if, like, I could, you know, occasionally have an indiscretion after, you know, I'm really remarkably better. Uh, And fortunately for me, if I would have exposure to gluten or dairy, or in my case, eggs, uh, my face pain turns on to really uh, horrific levels of pain uh, in about 6 to 48 hours. And so that gave me the feedback that I really needed to pay very close attention to my diet. And so uh, now the big challenge was figuring out how to travel, how to go be with friends, and have have those conversations to let people know just how sensitive I am. It's it's really amazing when the body responds so quickly. And it is a challenge, I, a conversation I have with my patients. They're like, oh, I added this in and I added this back and it didn't bother me. But then it's sometimes harder to make the connect when you're suddenly having symptoms again four weeks later 
and now you've added eight things back, it's a little tricky. Yeah. So when you do have those quick symptoms, sometimes there's an advantage in that you know what to keep out. It's so much it's easier. powerful. So much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so much easier. So do you bring food with you pretty much wherever you go? I mean, airports, there are a few airports, you know, I can get some food in Minneapolis. I travel a lot to teach as I'm sure yeah. you do too, but a few, but some places it's real hard. So uh, a couple things. Uh, one, yeah, if I'm uh, into keto- in ketosis, then traveling is really easy because I, you know, I can fast 24 hours very comfortably. So that, that ends up not being a problem. Um, and it has gotten much easier than it was 10 years ago to tell someone, uh, your weight staff, I have a severe life-threatening reaction to gluten, dairy, and eggs. What's safe to eat? Do you want to give me that right now and see what happens? <laughs> and then often the chef comes out and says, you know, uh, how about I, we have a little conversation and generally it comes down to what I'd like is vegetables uh, and meat without a sauce. The sauces are what makes me nervous about how clean that sauce is. But being comfortable enough to tell your wait staff that you have this uh, very severe reaction to gluten, dairy, and eggs, then they are sensitized. Uh, and pretty, it's very often that the chef will come out and I'll tell you quite frankly, I end up with a, a big pl- uh, platter of vegetables uh, and some meat at a great price, uh, and the uh, chef is thrilled to get to have somebody uh, that they're bringing all these vegetables to. So it's gotten way easier than it used to be. Oh, my gosh. I remember my oldest kid is 32, and we were kind of organic vegetarians back in the day. And we had this little booklet that was stapled together of the food co-ops across the country. So whenever we would take a cross-country or travel, we'd we'd look ahead in our little food co-op book to make sure we could refuel at that town. So it's gotten a lot easier. But it's still, I agree, those sauces, the dressings, they can really slip in with the sugars and the additives and the thickeners. So I was a vegetarian for the better part of 16 years, also a vegan most of that time. And it was during my fourth pregnancy after I had been breastfeeding or pregnant for 11 years in a row that I remember just looking at my partner saying, I cannot eat this much beans and rice to fill up. I need to eat meat. And when I started eating meat, it was a tough decision politically spiritually, my ethical, you know, it's on so many levels. Mm -hmm. But when I did, I felt like somebody put a pair of, and I hadn't felt particularly tired. I felt great, but I had to eat so much to keep up my energy. And I felt like when I switched to eating meat, I started with some chicken, then I went to some fish, then I went to some red meat. And I felt like somebody had taken jumper cables and put them on my battery. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, I felt good, but now I feel great. And it's one of the areas that I find most challenging with my vegetarian patients because of all those reasons that we choose to be vegetarian, which are often very mm-hmm. important, good reasons. But it's sort of like, how's that, yeah. how's, how's that working for you? And I wonder, you know, and I do see a lot of vegetarians who are leaning very heavily on a carbohydrate-based diet. I mean, even beans are a lot of carbs. So, um yeah. What did did you feel that your vegetarian diet was a contributor? And I guess what? Oh, are, absolutely. Yeah, and oh, tell me sure more about that. Sure for, tell me more about why that was for you. You know, so I, I think it led to B twelve deficiency. It probably increased the probability of uh, not having enough protein. I probably was relatively low. Uh, certainly, my uh, B vitamins. Absolutely, my B twelve. I uh, did not have enough greens in my diet. Uh, this certainly uh, was not enough uh, plant variety. So I, I had rice and legumes, but certainly not enough vegetables to go with that. And I 
I, uh, you know, everyone would have thought I had this great diet, but in retrospect, uh, it, the way I interpreted the vegetarian diet, I'm sure was a contributor to my uh, decline in health. Yeah, I do have patients who can be healthy vegetarian, but um, most of the women who come to me are quite ill. And I do find that it's not for them at that time in their life necessarily the most sustainable if they're not well. If they're coming for fertility yeah. and they're otherwise doing okay, but if they're tired, if they're struggling with autoimmune disease, if they're struggling with blood sugar problems, weight, thyroid, adrenal I find that a little, and it doesn't have to be, we're not no. talking about a 16 ounce porterhouse steak here. We're talking about meat as a complement to a lot of vegetables. You know, I, that's absolutely true. Uh, on the other hand, I have had uh, some folks who are committed vegetarians for their religious beliefs. And I'm like, okay, uh, I have to, uh, um, you know, respect that. Those folks have been able to get to do uh, eggs which are they've tolerated the eggs, and so we get them to do cage-free uh, pastured eggs. And then I uh, have a big conversation uh, whether or not they can do fish oil or whether we're doing uh, DHA uh, from algae sources. Uh, and we monitor their homocysteine and then do whatever we need to to get their homocysteine back in order. Great. Yeah, I find that eggs and fish can make a huge difference if folks don't want to eat yeah. other forms of meat. If, if they're willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a cookbook coming out and it is the Walls Protocol Cooking for Life, the revolutionary modern paleo plan to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions. And first, I just want to say thank you, because one of the biggest challenges that I think most people have is what do I eat for dinner? What do I eat for lunch? And I need some recipes. So I'm constantly providing recipes and direction to cookbooks and websites. So this is brilliant. And I love that you're bold enough to say for all chronic autoimmune conditions. So tell me, tell us about your book and, and why you can say all. Uh, so when I worked uh, for the VA, uh, we, we did the traumatic brain injury clinic, used these principles there, had great success uh, for TBI and mental health issues. Then I was invited to create a clinic, which we called the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. And we'd take anyone who was willing with a medical, neurological, or psychiatric problem who was willing to do diet and lifestyle. And over that time, we did a lot of cooking classes. We taught people how uh, to cook. And we saw people from a wide variety of autoimmune problems stabilize their disease, regress their symptoms, uh, and decrease uh, their prescription meds. Uh, a, a wide variety of autoimmune problems, you know, like lupus, uh, Hashimoto's, myasthenia, uh, psoriasis, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, MS, of course. Uh, we've had people with ALS who have followed me uh, and adopted my uh, protocol and have had great success with that. Although I still want them to see a functional medicine doc and get the full evaluation uh, as quickly as they can. And uh, a wide variety of mental health problems, and, of course, the metabolic stuff with insulin resistance, uh, diabetes, polycystic ovarian disease, et cetera. And the other thing that my, I'd say that I learned when I was running the uh, lifestyle clinic is to be mindful that people that I was serving then didn't have money. So we worked hard on uh, giving people the space that, you know, if canned vegetables are what you can afford, that's what you eat. But you don't throw away the juice. You drink that. And then go for uh, frozen get things that are fresh in season, garden, hunt, fish, uh, forage. And if money's really tight, then yes, we talk about how to do meatless meals. And what I was able to see in my vets is you can do this 
without uh, increasing your budget. And as people became more and more, or say less symptomatic, uh, healthier, they began to figure out how to improve the quality of the food that they ate uh, and began to introduce uh, some organic food, uh, do gardening. And, you know, because we're in Iowa, many, many communities have uh, too many deer. And so a lot of communities have uh, controlled hunts and a lot of frozen venison that they give away to anyone who wants it. Uh, so people were able to do this without increasing their food budget and have some uh, really wonderful success. You know, having worked in the VA hospital as a physician, when another physician says VA hospital, we know what that means. For listeners, the VA hospital is the Veterans Administration Hospital, and it's the most sort of middle, usually, typically, the most middle America kind of values diet, often very heavy smokers, sort of like the most middle America lifestyle that you can have. So the fact that you did this you know, it wasn't like you were doing this in Cambridge, Massachusetts or Berkeley, California. This right. is this was if you can this do it. Iowa. Yeah, if you can do it in Iowa at the VA hospital, you can do this anywhere. And I would venture to say that my guess is that even though I know you're um, known for autoimmune condition healing and I know publishers like a book to have a targeted condition. Audience, so yeah. autoimmune, I would venture to say that this book probably could be called The Plan to Treat all chronic conditions, not just autoimmune. So for listeners, this isn't just if you have, and if you want to prevent an autoimmune disease, the way to do it is to be on a diet that would treat it. I mean, it's sort of the bottom line. The other uh, big area that we've seen some big help is cognitive decline and early dementias. We're able to uh, stop the decline and uh, improve uh, people's cognitive performance. So that's also very exciting to see. And we didn't talk about fats. I'm assuming you're using ample amounts of good quality fats, especially when you're working yep, with yep. brain health. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. If there were three things listeners could do today that could make a difference in either improving their health or reversing or, or as you say, regressing or stabilizing disease, what would those three things be that you'd recommend? Well, you know, I'd, I'd get rid of the sugar and the white flour, and I would not eat gluten-free products. Instead, I want you to eat things that are known as vegetables, particularly the non-starchy ones, uh, lots of vegetables. Uh, limit the fruit to no more than one serving a day uh, and really ramp up those greens. Those greens are powerful. And, and do you use green shakes and green smoothies or do you prefer people to eat them in full plant form? So if, if, if you want to put them through your Vitamix and have it as a smoothie f- uh, for breakfast, because that's uh, quick and easy for you. That's great. A lot. Some people put in too much fruit that way. Uh, so if you're going to do that, I'd rather use like a full fat coconut milk and your green smoothie. The fat will cut the bitterness or you could add some olive oil. Uh, uh, the fat will cut the bitterness, make, make you absorb it uh, better. Cooked greens are very good. Uh, and our favorite vegetables uh, in our lifestyle clinic, uh, that uh, the vets really love the bacon and greens. Uh, and I'd say at home, our favorite vegetable is bacon and greens. <laughs> it was a, I lived in the South for 16 years, so I learned about collards and fat back when I, when I lived down there. That's yeah, really good for us. It's quite tasty. Terry, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. So for listeners, I just want to repeat again, this is Terry Walls. She's got the Walls Protocol books, and she's coming out with the Walls Protocol 
Cooking for Life, the revolutionary modern paleo plan to treat all chronic, and I'm putting autoimmune in parentheses, all chronic conditions, but it's all chronic autoimmune yes. conditions in the title. Terry, thank you so much. And what are the best ways folks can find you? So uh, on my website, Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com, on social media, uh, Terry Walls, MD, Facebook, and at Terry Walls in terms of my uh, Twitter handle. Instagram is Dr. Terry Walls. Uh, and if you go to my website, uh, please pick up the book, get your free gifts, and think about if you've got MS participating in our clinical trials. Terry, thank you so much, not only for joining me, but really for the work that you're doing that I know is transforming lives, giving people hope and inspiration, and for being a living example that this is possible, because I think often as physicians, it is really the most powerful thing that we can do is to show that we're really walking our talk. And you're not only walking your talk, but you're you're actually walking. And this is such an incredible story. So thank you for sharing your energy and your story so generously with the world. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.